0: We come then to the preaching of God's Word, which is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23 and verse 3. Now, we come here and we fully acknowledge that the book of Leviticus is full of ceremonial issues. And so even in the verses surrounding, the one will consider there are old covenant ceremonies which have since been fulfilled in such a way as to be set aside. And yet, as we'll see, verse 3 focuses upon not an Old Covenant ceremony, but a creation ordinance which has been established from the day of creation and has been continually asserted throughout the Scriptures, maintained as well to this day, namely the Sabbath day. So for the sake of context, we'll read verses 1 through 4, but we'll look specifically at verse three. Hear then the word of God. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation, ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Now you can glance ahead and you'll notice you have a number of feasts. The unleavened bread is mentioned in verse 6. And you have the feast of Pentecost as well mentioned and so on. But you'll notice that very prominently displayed is not a feast. When the Lord is about to say, here are my feasts, wherein there's to be holy convocations on these occasions throughout the year, He begins actually with that which is not a feast. So you'll notice the language around it. These are my feasts. He asserts the Sabbath, but then He returns to the feast. Verse 4, these are the feasts. The Sabbath is not the feast. It's not a ceremony. What's going on here is the Lord is asserting the priority of of the Sabbath day. That whereas these other days were set apart, as it were, for ceremonial purposes in remembering particular items regarding Israel's specific history, the Sabbath is set at the head of all things. And it's instructive. Our catechism is tremendously well acquainted with the Bible. and You think about what's required on the Sabbath day, and it requires the keeping of holy to God, such, notice the language, such set times as God hath appointed in His Word. And then it says expressly, explicitly, one whole day in seven. But the moral reality of the Sabbath is any time that God says is to be kept holy must be kept holy. And so as God is indeed going on to Old Testament ceremonial seasons, He's asserting the moral framework that asserted the reality that any such set time was to be kept holy. Now, this helps us because we see, of course, that whereas these ceremonies like Pentecost and the Passover and other things have been set aside, the moral imperative of the Sabbath day itself remains. Why is that? Well, from the beginning of creation, and mark that thoroughly well in your mind, From the beginning of creation, before the dividing of the nations, before the isolating of uh, the line of Abraham, before the establishing of Israel, before the ceremonies given throughout the wandering of the wilderness, before the partitioning of the tribes in the land of Canaan, indeed, before there were more than two human beings, God established the Sabbath day when was it established not at mount sinai not in the land of canaan but at creation notice for instance in genesis chapter 2 we have this plainly stated there it is as we read verses 1 through 3 thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day god ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all this work which he had made And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. So though we're not through indeed and even to the heart of the sermon, it's easy to answer the objection that says, well, we're Christians. Why should we keep a day that Moses observed? We say, well, because Moses observed it, not because it was given to Israel, but because it was a day for all mankind. Just as, why do we observe marriage? It's not because Moses observed marriage. But Moses observed marriage because God had instituted marriage. When? In creation. Why is there marriage that is lawful for all men so long as the boundaries and so on are are, are acknowledged? Why is that a lawful institution for all humanity? Because it is an ordinance given to all mankind at creation. And so the Sabbath is established. Indeed, Christ says as much in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, that the Sabbath day was made for man. And so today we don't need to bat an eye or feel as if we're on the defense when someone says, well, you're Judaizing because you observe the Sabbath day. Well, we'd be Judaizing if we observe the seventh day Sabbath, as we'll see, but not because we observe the Sabbath day. Because the Sabbath day, if we're biblically informed, is not particularly Jewish. It is by virtue of creation and God's pattern thereon that the day was established. Well, notice our text itself, we emphasize this distinction. The Sabbath stands as the preeminent mark of a day set apart. And notice the language. It is an holy convocation. This word convocation means to be called together. Assembled. This is important, as we'll see. There is this idea that's crept into broad evangelicalism that can't escape the fact that we are patterned after the work week of God's creation, and we need a break from our normal routines. And so even broad evangelicals are starting to say things like, I'm going to keep my Sabbath. And it's time out. What do you mean, my Sabbath? I'm going to keep my Sabbath. Well, you know, I can't make it work on Saturday or Sunday, so Tuesday I'm going to take my Sabbath. Well, notice here, and as we'll see elsewhere, it's not... Our Sabbath, it's God's. Notice, it's the Sabbath of the Lord and it's an holy convocation. It's not a private matter, though there are private engagements. It is a public gathering together for a holy purpose of worshiping God. Fundamentally, the Sabbath is not about physical rest. It's a perversion of the Sabbath day to make it preeminently about a day off. In fact, as we'll see, the reason for the day off of work is for a day on of worship. It's a day of a holy convocation. Notice, it is to be in all your dwellings. It's to be universally acknowledged and observed, which also reminds us That whereas it is a day of holy convocation gathering together, it's also to be observed in our homes. So this is helpful because what God is getting at is it's not just a day for public worship on this moment, this appointed hour when the church gathers, but it is to be observed in our dwellings as well. We're to maintain an observation of this being a holy day. So what we wish to consider It's how the Lord has established this one day in seven to be set apart for a holy rest on which we are to gather to worship Him. Now, the reason we do this is because in the Lord's providence, we've recently observed a change of schedule. So we've gone, as you well know, from the hours that we used to have to now 11 and 3, and there's been a purpose in that to help families that live distant To be together. Why is that a priority for us? It's because it's a priority for God. It's a priority that God has given. That we would gather to worship Him. In other words, as we learn from the Scriptures, it's not an optional thing for the church. Now surely there are seasons of illness and there are seasons of persecution where we might be hindered from such things. But with those things aside... Here we have a call to observe. And this also helps us to realize that our mornings are a bit freer and our evenings are a bit freer. But the Sabbath doesn't end at the end of public worship. It's to be observed throughout our dwellings. So we convene and we gather together on this day to worship the Lord and we return to our homes and in all of our dwellings we continue to observe the Sabbath. In other words the change is striving to better serve the cause of the Lord in appointing such a day as this. So consider three things this afternoon. Firstly, a holy day. Secondly, a holy duty. And thirdly, a holy delight. Firstly then, a holy day. Now you'll see this very simply in verse 3. That this Sabbath of rest is an holy convocation. Now children, this word holy is used a lot in the Bible. And it's used a lot by Christians. And we might forget what that word holy means. Holy refers to that which is set apart exclusively to God, We can see a number of illustrations of this in the Scripture, but we can start, for one, with God Himself. So God is most holy, thoroughly holy, perfectly holy, immeasurably holy, such that the holy prophet, Isaiah, when he saw the manifestation of the holiness of God, was one who, as it were, cowered in His presence I am a man of unclean lips. When once we understand God's holiness, not that we can ever comprehend it fully, it makes us realize that everything that is not toward Him is profane and wicked. Well, that's foundational to this very notion. Notice the illustration, though, to help us understand the word of holy and holiness. Exodus chapter 29 And at verse 31, it speaks here of a number of things of the Lord and what He's uh, going on. And it speaks of sacrifices that the Lord is uh, observing. And these things are to be eaten in, verse 31, the holy place. Places today are not holy. This is referring, of course, to the tabernacle, and later, which was the foundation of the temple. But it's a place for what? It's a place not for common eating. It's a place not for common activity. It's a place not for common things, even though in themselves not sinful. It's a place exclusively set apart for the purpose of God. And so Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so on, notice verse 33, but a stranger shall not eat thereof because they are holy. You see, it's set apart exclusively to the cause of God. Notice verse 37, seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, a word related to holy, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be Holy. It's set apart unto God. You can think as well of the various tools and instruments that were used around the ceremonies of the Old Testament. They were consecrated away from a common use to a holy use. Well, this is what's going on with the Sabbath day. Notice again in the book of Genesis the language that's going on. The seventh day is a common day, meaning it's 24 hours, just as the other days are. But what happens well, notice it says that God blessed the seventh day and what? Sanctified it. He set it apart from a common use to a holy use. Now, look at the commandment in Exodus chapter 20. And you'll see this quite plainly then. Exodus 20 and there at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to what? To keep it holy. Holy. It's a day that is set apart. It's not something that we make holy. It's something that we guard and observe as already holy. And it's founded, of course, upon the Lord's work. Notice the end of verse 11. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and what? Hallowed it. Sanctified it. Made it holy. When did He do that? Not at Mount Sinai. Not at Moses' calling, not even at Abraham's calling or covenant, but at creation. Now, this raises the question, of course what is the purpose then of the day? Purpose of the day is fundamentally and preeminently for the conscious and deliberate service of Jehovah. It's a day of worship, a holy convocation, both publicly as the people assemble. And you see this in the practice of Christ and the apostles. They assemble together to worship God. So, before the transition from 7th to 1st, this is happening every Sabbath day at the synagogue. Christ is one commending that. But you see it as well, as we'll see briefly with the little snippets, that once the transition takes place of 7th to 1st day, the church continues to gather for a holy convocation on the Sabbath day, now the first day, which is helpful. So this is something we need to remember. There are obvious natural arguments for the observing of a break from the work week. And cultures have tried to erase the witness of God's creating pattern from history. And so France tried this in switching from a seven-day week to a ten-day week, and it was disastrous. Because there's something that God has established in our very fabric of creation that re- that requires a break in about every seven days. Why is that? Well, it's here. And there are all sorts of studies that have demonstrated the same, from animals needing breaks to we needing breaks and even as mentioned, there was a sports study done about sports scientists who have studied productivity of athletes who, who play games and practice you know, days on end. And amazingly, the study came from no Christian, no interest in God and said, we see productivity drop if they're going on beyond six days. And so we need to incorporate breaks on this kind of pattern. And we want to scream at the radio. We want to scream at these people and say all of this is basic, fundamental to humanity. And it's there stipulated in the Scriptures. But, though that's true, notice this. It's not a day for napping. I don't mean that you can't nap or take a nap on the day, but this is the point it's not a day for simple physical cessation. It's rather a day where we set aside our work and recreation for the engagement of our soul with the Lord in worship, public and private. So certainly, our bodies may be absolutely taxed and we need a 20-30 minute nap to sort of re-energize and so on, on this day. But what's the purpose of that break? The purpose is so that we can be engaged for the worship of God, both publicly and in our homes and so on. So the whole orientation of the day is that we're set apart unto the Lord. But this holy day, which is it? There's zero debate that throughout the Old Testament it is the seventh day of the week. It's so basic and fundamentally clear. I know of no one who disputes that. But of course, in our day, we have seventh-day Adventists, right? You see they're so-called churches, and they say, listen, we need to keep the Sabbath. They're right about that, but we need to keep it on the seventh day because God says so in His Bible. Here's the problem. He did say so, but then He patterned for us and approved for us the transition from the seventh to the first day. When and where and how? Well, we read John chapter 20, which is the foundation for it all. And notice what's going on. John chapter 20 is the day of resurrection. So Christ appears, interestingly, to His gathered people. And He arose on that day. Here's the foundation. He arose from His day. Now children, think of this for a moment. Christ Himself humbled Himself and then Christ was exalted. Remember this? Our catechism speaks of it. The Bible's plain on it. You know, there are steps of his humiliation, and we finally see him buried. Remember that? Although he cries out on the cross, it is finished, and he commits his soul, his human soul, unto his Father in heaven, he yields up the ghost, he dies, and his body is now lifeless. He's still in the state of humiliation, and he's buried in the tomb for the course of three days. And which day does he come out of the tomb? Where begins His exaltation? It's on the first day of the week. Notice, the first day of the week, verse 1 of John 20, when it was yet dark, what happens? Mary comes and the stone is rolled away. We've read this all. You're well aware. And it's quite plain. And then what happens? Well, as we saw, notice in verse 19, then the same day at evening lest we are confused as to which day that is being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them peace be unto you and so on then what happens we find again they're recorded in verse 26 and after 8 days again this is a jewish way of reckoning where you're counting not from the day and then adding eight days, but you're counting including the day, and you're counting through so you get to the same day of the next week. So from the first day of one week to the first day of the other week, what happens? Once again, Jesus stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And we say, well, that's just coincidental. And you know this is just something you're pointing out that's circumstantial to the point. Not so fast, because the Scriptures indicate the church understood what was taking place. Why? How do we know that? We don't have time to go into all of these details, but notice, just as a few examples, what happens in the book of Acts? Well, it's interesting that when you number out from the Passover to the Pentecost, the first day of the week happens to be the same day when the Spirit is poured out. So you have Christ appearing on the first day, and what's happening on Pentecost? The churches gathered together in worshiping God. The spirits poured out at Pentecost, which was the first day of the week, given the reckoning of days. And then what happens? Well, there are many other examples, but notice in Acts chapter 20, and at verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, notice this language, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul what preached unto them. This is now habitual they've observed it they say it's the first day of the week what are we supposed to do we're supposed to gather together this is observed so plainly so simply so obviously throughout the scriptures it's not the church by council saying well you know there used to be the sabbath day and you know that's all done away with now and so well we still have to gather together so when are we going to do that let's hold a council get it together and determine And by the way, you see both the ignorance and the defiance when churches are capitulating to the godlessness of our age and saying, we can't get anyone on Sundays, let's start holding Saturday services. If you want to talk about Judaizing, there it is. It's worse than that. Because what it's doing is thrusting off the Scriptures. And it's capitulating to the world. It's certainly lawful to have worship on Saturdays, but not in order to free up a Sunday so that people can go about and do whatever they want. The church knew this, noticed it, established it, and you have it quite plainly. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul, in passing to a church far off from Jerusalem, far off out of Israel, and what does he acknowledge? is taking place. Well, he's going to gather collection for the saints. Notice he's given order to the churches of Galatia, a region to the north of Israel. Even so do ye. What is it, Paul, that we're to do? Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. See, what he's getting at is Well, we have to raise funds to support the cause of God in these persecuted areas and so on. And that requires giving. Well, what I'm doing is I'm writing ahead to all of these churches, and I'm saying, as you gather on the first day, set the money aside then so I don't have to go chase you down on other occasions. But since you're already gathering on the first day in Galatia, this region, in Corinth, this city, throughout the churches of the New Testament, so then set aside the finances so that when I come, it's already gathered. You see, what's happened is a most blatant and obvious observation of the transition from the seventh to the first. Why? Because it was blatantly obvious by Christ's resurrection, His appearances on the first day, His blessing of His gathered people, His pouring out of His Spirit, and so on, such that by the time that John is imprisoned and exiled, he's able to employ the term universally acknowledged to refer to the first day of the week, Revelation 1.10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now this is something to note. People say, Well, yeah, it's the Lord's Day. You know, it's not the Sabbath, so on the Lord's Day we gather for worship, and then we can go to our restaurants, then we can go and play soccer, then we can turn on the television watch football and all these things. We've come to worship. Well, that's interesting because it doesn't say the Lord's morning, and it doesn't say the Lord's afternoon, and it doesn't say the Lord's season where you get to choose to worship me. It's the statement of the Lord's day. It's parallel to the same statement which you're familiar with, Lord's Supper. Think of this for a moment. We said, well, it's the Lord's Supper. And so what we're going to do is we're going to keep some of what He said, but we're going to change it up a bit to become more relevant to the culture. We would say, wait a second. It's not just sort of the generic idea that this is a meal that we sort of dedicate to the Lord. It's His. We don't get to mess with the elements. We don't get to mess with what goes on. It's all His. The whole thing is His. Well, what is the stage? The whole thing is the Lord's. It's not just the time appointed for public worship. It's not the Lord's appointment for public worship. You hear that? It's the Lord's day. The whole of it. It's a holy day. Well, secondly then, from a holy day, we consider a holy duty. We've seen this already. We need not spend too much time on this. But notice, God is emphasizing this in the passage before us, as He does elsewhere, that we are to keep a holy, it's a day of holy convocation. A day where we gather together because called together. The word convocation in the English is this word of con, with, and vocation, calling. We're called with or together, right? And that's representative of the Hebrew That it's a day of gathering together. So it's not a day for me to isolate myself. It's not a day for some spiritual retreat and privacy, though there's need for that. It's a day actually to gather together. What did we start with this evening, this afternoon? I joyed when to the house of God go up, they said to me. That's representative of what takes place on the Lord's day. We get to come together To do what? To give thanks to His name. To receive instruction from Him. To be overseen by Him. To rejoice in Him. To strengthen the hands of one another. All of this is gathering together. And it's interesting. We don't need to hash this out too much, but just as one example in Acts chapter 20 is already referenced. Notice what's said. Just catch the language and drive it down deeply in your mind. Verse 7, "...upon the first day of the week..." when the disciples came together. Do you hear it? That's the day when they come together. That's it. They come together for fellowship. They come together for worship. Paul's there to preach to them. It is a day for gathering. But for what kind of gathering? It's not a day for gathering for our own purpose. It's not a day for gathering for picnics and recreation. It's a day for gathering in a holy way that all of us collectively are called to worship God. Now surely, that doesn't mean that all we do is worship. But since the whole day, remember, keep the day holy. The whole day. Since it's all the Lord's day, what that means is our whole orientation in the margins of the day, in our private times, in our family times, if we come together with other Christians, is this day is set apart. We have six days to work and labor and recreate and so on. We have six days of the week where we can gather and talk about sports and talk about these things and hobbies and other such things. But this day has been set apart, sealed off for what? For drudgery? For boring things? No. For the best thing there is to worship God, to serve one another in the things of Christ, to bear with one another's burdens and pray, to encourage and strengthen the hands of one another, to give ourselves in the holy fellowship of the saints united in Christ. Now surely this doesn't mean that we don't ask How's work going? But we're not asking to be caught up on projects. You understand? We're not asking because we want to know what's the latest and greatest just to sort of have respectable gossip. We're asking in order so that we can rejoice with mercies given and pray for needs that are before us. How's school going? We ask students. But we're not asking that because we want to know the fine points of geometry or where they are here or there, but rather to say, what can I be doing to support you before the throne of grace. How can I be of help to you? Or if we go to someone and say, how's it going for you? And it's more than just a you know, surface level greeting. And then they say, you know what? I'm struggling. Well, it's not just that we want to hear what their struggle is. We want to come alongside of them to help encourage them in the things of the Lord. This is why... In our meals, we're striving to bring ourselves together around those things. This is why with the children, we're striving to teach them and help them understand these things. So whereas they have a penchant for talking about all sorts of things, by the way, which we do too, we're teaching them to be brought back to the things of true value, true worth, and so on. At the end of our lives as parents, as grandparents, as friends, and so on, We will not say, you know what, I think I spent too much time talking about the main things. If we have any ability to reflect, we'll say, you know what, I spoke too little of it. How good of God to give us a whole day where He's saying, don't worry about other things. Set all aside so that you can talk about the main things. It's truly what fathers and mothers and friends and Others who are Christians want they want more time about the main things. We want more time for prayer, don't we? We want more time in God's Word, don't we? We want more times to talk with our spouse about spiritual things, to reach out to Christian friends and talk about the things of Christ. And yet, though our weeks are often full so that we can't manage it as we would, God says, here's what I'll do. I'll give you a whole day where well, that's what you get to do. But be sure, it is a duty. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We'll get to the fact of it being a delight, but these are not at odds. The duty is to be a delight. And we're to be delighted in the observing of the duty. It doesn't come to us and say, well, if you're feeling up to it, you know, go ahead and invest your soul. No, it comes to us whether we feel like it or not, and it says this is the Sabbath day, keep it holy. It's interesting, the language of the commandment tells us to remember the Sabbath day, doesn't it? Which implies, at least, that we often struggle with it. We get through our long work week and Saturday's there. Perhaps we take a break from our normal work and we sort of relax a bit. And then it's oh, tomorrow is the Lord's day. We're to remember it. And if to remember it, well then, we need to give ourselves to that which will help us to keep it holy. What is this day for? Well, it's intriguing. We'll sing from this in a moment, or rather we won't, but we mentioned, we sang from it earlier in Psalm 92. The next time that you or I give a bad example of Sabbath drudgery, or we hear and think of it that way, or hear other people Think of it that way. Let's turn to the Psalms and look at Psalm ninety two, which is titled A Psalm or Song for the Sabbath Day. And as you read through this Psalm, you find nothing but life and joy and gladness. Because when one is renewed, God one is renewed to say, God is the most that I could ever enjoy, then to have a day that is set apart for God, is a delight. Think of it this way. If you're married, you don't have as much time with your spouse that you would like. And those special occasions come when you're able to say, you know, our kids are staying here, and we've cleared out our schedule, we have a couple of days together. What do you want to do? Well, there might be things we want to do, but fundamentally what I want is just time with you. And it can be doing mundane things. It could be going to an antique shop. It could be going to a restaurant, a picnic, whatever it is. All I want is time with you. And it's true with parents and children, right? There are many activities that get us going here, there, and everywhere. And we have so little time to be with one another. Well, here God gives us a day and calls us to be earnest in seeking Him. To praise Him and to enjoy Him. Which, of course is our calling, our duty. I joyed, when to the house of God, go up, they said to me. They didn't say, time out. Don't come at me with a command. You know, commands are heavy, irksome, burdensome. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about my responsibilities. No, he says, when that command came, go up. I delighted in it. I joyed when it came. When he said listen it's time to go to worship we didn't say worship no i delight to do this what's happening is god is transforming us to be more like christ isn't he christ says lo i come in the volume of the book it written is of me what does he say i delight to do thy will it's not optional it's his will it's a duty I've come as appointed, but I delight to do it. So that leads us then thirdly to this holy delight. It's a holy convocation, which to the carnal flesh is a burden. But once one is renewed, though there are things to overcome, it becomes the desire. We've read of this in Isaiah chapter 58. Of course, the length of that chapter is largely considering fasting and its wrong observation. But it has this transition. And it says in verse 13, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. Children, it's not saying turn away yourself from observing the Sabbath day. It's saying when you turn away on the Sabbath from doing your own stuff. So you've got friends, I have friends, and acquaintances, who on the Lord's Day they play their video games perhaps. They go out and they're playing their sports and so on. We have, you know, others who are doing other things. And they then we see them on Monday and say, How was your weekend? And they say, Oh, it was great. You know, I got to do this, that, and the other thing. And then they say, you know, on Saturday I was doing this. On Sunday, we went down to the ballpark and watched a baseball game. And it was a great time. You know, we had hot dogs and all of these things. It was a fun time. or We went to a concert or whatever else it was. and I played in the soccer tournament on Sunday and everything else. And we sort of look a little bit in our souls perplexed. But this is what God's saying. If we turn our foot from those things, unto what though? Not unto boredom. Not unto burdens. But calling the Sabbath a... Uh, Delight, holy of the Lord, honorable. And shall, notice the language, honor Him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. Strange, isn't it? The duty is actually a means whereby we draw near to delight ourselves in the Lord. It's interesting, the Puritans get a bad reputation, which is no surprise to us in a carnal age and so on. But a chief, a prince of the Puritans, John Owen writes a treatise on the Sabbath day. And it's he who so articulates most plainly this point within Puritanism. And he says one can get up early, and fill their day with all sorts of religious exercises and activities. One can stay up late so that they spend the vast portion of 24 hours busy about religious things. And yet, if it is not exercised by faith in Christ and delighting in Him, they've not kept it holy, they have profaned the day. One thing that tells us is people have a wrong understanding of the Puritans, but another thing it tells us is that in a great age of religious instruction and learning and so on, it was common for them to misuse the Sabbath as well. So it's not about simply, "Well, I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn off the television. I'm not turning it on. I'm going. You know, my my day is free. The whole day is isolated from work and recreation." And I, you know, I'm going to schedule it out. So I wake up here and I've got these things planned and these things planned. And we've got church now 11 to 3. And I've got all that planned. And we get home, what are we going to do? Well, we have the food in the crock pot. So we get home, we have worship and so on. And we speak and talk and so on. My whole day now is full. And yet the question comes, but is it so that you're delighting in the Lord? You see, what happens is Satan loves to keep us profaning the Sabbath day. As he does with all of the ordinances, by the way. And so he's happy to keep us blind and let us do all of our pleasures on the Sabbath day, and we're none the wiser, we're quite happy, and so on. And then it, we get brought to a screeching halt. Wait a second. This commandment is in the Ten Commandments, this commandment is founded on creation, this commandment is observed in the New Testament. It's not an option. It's mandatory. So then what happens? Well, He can't stop us now from observing that difference. So then He thrusts us upon our work's righteousness. And we do this and do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're going to do these things. And it's turning both the don't and the do onto a fundamental focus upon our works which becomes drudgery and burdensome instead of Causing us to draw near to the Lord to delight ourselves in Him. Parents have a big role to play in their children. Both to keep the Sabbath free of work and unnecessary travel. By the way, the Sabbath's not a day for vacation. It's not a day where we say, you know what, we're going here, we're just going to skip church and go there and so on as many people do today. The day is for necessary travel for worship. Yes, there are emergencies that arise and things of that sort, but it's for a holy duty, for a holy delight in the Lord. That's the focus. And so it's as parents, important for us to hedge that off and to keep that protected. But it's also important for us to show forth a delight in the Lord. We don't go around and say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But we're encouraging them Unto the Lord, shepherding them to seek Him. And brethren, the only way that that comes to pass is if by God's grace we ourselves delight to convene with one another for worship, to read the Bible secretly and privately, to lead in family worship, to have fellow brothers and sisters over, to converse about the things of the Lord. And the children start to see you know what, mom and dad, they really love the Lord. And they started to see the Sabbath is a delight in our home. And then that's what starts by God's grace to repeat the Sabbath for generations. Because it's not just a drudgery in the home. It's a delight. That takes a lot of preparation. But above all, it takes spiritual life. Call the Sabbath a delight. Notice, thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord. Brethren, it is our hope that in considering this, we would see in a fresh way that this day is the Lord's. Our reason for gathering today is not just because we love one another. It's not even preeminently because we love one another. It's preeminently because we love the Lord and with one another are in the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean we don't love one another. Because if we love God, we're to love those who are God's. But, it's founded first upon the Lord. And it then expands to delight in one another because of the Lord. And whereas, of course, this will bleed over throughout the week of talking about other things and interests and in other things with one another, yet the Lord's Day is that day where we gather because of the Lord. To talk of the Lord. It's interesting, in childhood days, you can think back, and if you were in church, evangelical churches, you listened to the older believers, and they loved to do what? Talk about the Lord. It was always impressive as a child, even unconverted, these older people can't help but talk with joy about Christ. And they delighted in it. They had all their hardships, many of which you didn't discover till after they died. And yet they were there and delighted in taking interest in the things of God's people and talking about Christ. They delight in the Lord. Well, Brethren, this is our reason for so gathering, to delight ourselves in the Lord. There's obvious reproof for profaning this day. But let's close with this. Here comes the simple exhortation to each of us to remember the purpose for the day and to give ourselves holy not only to the keeping holy of this day in some generic sense but the keeping of it holy as we delight ourselves in the Lord both in public and in private how will we do that well it will demand that each of us keeps close with Christ It's easy to pretend in anything, isn't it, for a day. It's easy to put on the appearance that things are well for a day. And yet, it's impossible to be engaged truly as we ought to be on this day, unless beyond this day, we are doing that which keeps us close to Christ. Christ, in other words, must be preeminent every day if we're going to come and serve one another, if we're going to come and say, it's my joy to gather and worship Him, then we must have a personal and real delight in Him that we're gathering to worship. We must know Him and love Him and serve Him. And so if we're going to fulfill this calling, we must indeed delight ourselves, as Isaiah 58 says, by the way, in the Lord. That comes first. And when it is we delight ourselves in the Lord, it is that we likewise call the Sabbath a delight. Well, brethren, it is certainly our hope that as we avail ourselves of the Lord's provision on this day, it would not be so that we become known as a Sabbath-keeping church, but rather a church that delights itself in the Lord. And because of that, keeps the Sabbath. Would you stand with me?